healthcare, what Google did with information. Can you make it accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of every human being on Earth? Because we've modeled the entire environment and we can replicate it. What we're doing with a human body is exactly that. It's a healthcare sector as a whole, it's a rather conservative business. And in some ways it should be conservative. Uh, that's always a challenge. It's not just looking at technology as platforms or tools, it's, it's looking at them as equal players. You're going to put someone else's organ in your body, you're kidding me, it has to be done in a safe way because these are real people and real patients. Hey guys, welcome to the TechBridge Sweden UK podcast series. I'm Natalia Brzezinski, your co-host. And I'm Torbjörn Solström, Swedish ambassador to the UK. I'm the CEO of Brilliant Minds and the Brilliant Minds Foundation, and I'm also a podcaster. And with my work with Brilliant Minds, we bring together the world's top innovators around the values of entrepreneurship and around Swedish values. As an American that spent four years living in Sweden, I've found that in many ways, this small nation was leading the future when it came to sustainability, climate change, technology, innovating a lot of the global challenges of our time. It's so great to be back in an embassy. I was so fortunate to spend four years living in Stockholm, Sweden, while my husband, Mark, served as President Obama's U.S. ambassador to Sweden. Our entire family really adapted Swedish values and the Swedish way of life. And for me, Swedish values really are the values of the future, the values of the next generation, their values of community, of excellence in science, of working on problems together, not apart. And so being in an embassy, which is all about those things, bringing community in, bringing ideas together, using the power to convene, the power to bring very different people together to debate and problem solve and actually make things better. It feels so exciting. Uh, I think embassies are an amazing platform that in this digital age are, is just being leveraged. And that's kind of why we're doing this podcast. We want to show what really happens behind these walls. A lot of amazing collaborations, a lot of amazing giving back happens that no one knows about. And thanks to digital media, we're able to share that. And that's what we want to do with this podcast. What we want to do is to bring the two startup capitals of Europe together. London is obviously most important in so many ways, but Stockholm is not far behind. It is uh, per capita the city that has produced most so-called unicorns uh, in Europe and globally it is second only to Silicon Valley itself. So we want to bring the people, the exciting companies together to make sure they inspire each other and then also to tell the latest story of a fantastically strong relationship between Sweden and the UK. And by the way, it's a positive story and in Brexit times we need those. Tonight, we heard from Dr. Ali Parsa, founder and CEO of Babylon. Babylon is a subscription health service provider that enables users to have virtual consultations with doctors and healthcare professionals through its mobile app. We also heard from Johannes Schilt, founder and CEO of Kri. Kri is a digital healthcare service that allows people in need to see a medical doctor via on-demand video consultations. Kri is currently available in Sweden, Norway, and Spain. We also heard from Will Stoddard, founder and CEO of WearLabs. WearLabs provides detailed blood tests with a doctor, giving feedback on the results. Tests are ordered online and conducted at a local NHS clinic. 
Results are available online and can be tracked over time. Another contributing panelist was Professor Tony Young, the National Clinical Lead for Innovation at the NHS. We also had the pleasure to have Michelle Marcus on board, the worldwide enterprise lead for Omnicom, working with some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. I cannot tell you as an American how unbelievable it is that a country of 9 to 10 million people has been able to matriculate Skype, Spotify, Minecraft. I really believe that Europe will produce a Google of its own, and I believe that it will come out of Stockholm. And I think that connectivity, particularly with London and Stockholm and the UK and Sweden writ large, is, is so important because I think that Sweden kind of germinates a new innovation model. It has different drivers and incentives than, for example, Silicon Valley. Uh, the person that I work with closely is Daniel Ek, the founder of Spotify, and he is the founder of the Brilliant Minds Foundation as well. And he often says to me, you know, Natalia, Swedes start companies because they can. We have a social safety net. We have great free education. We have healthcare. We have parental leave. So you can empower both men and women to work and be creative. U.S. is very innovative. I'm the product of immigrants to America who are also entrepreneurs. But we have a little bit of a competitive, fast, stressed, crazy drivers for innovation. And I sometimes wonder whether Sweden's model could be the more sustainable innovation model. Is it the one of the future? It's certainly something we want to explore on this podcast. And I think the connectivity between these two cities is really special. Torbjörn, what do you think? Is it the tech innovation model of the future? Or if I just really lost it and become totally obsessed with Sweden? I mean, we have strengths and we have challenges in Sweden, just like any country. I think there is no single answer to why Sweden has been so successful as it has been in, in this uh, area so far. Uh, I think part of it has to do with uh, a strong tradition uh, when it comes to science, education, uh, engineering. Uh, and that's been one of, of, of the reasons why, why we have done so well. But I think you're right. I think another part has to do with some sort of basic security in society, uh, with the fact that we, uh, we learn to cooperate uh, and we learn to share. And I think this has helped companies to, to develop. We learn from each other and we are early adapters. We are open to, to the rest of the world. Uh, and when something interesting happens somewhere, we are, we are pretty rapid in making sure that we take that take that on board. And I look, and that's I mean, the U.S. has been very very important for us uh, in this development, but so has the U.K. and and U.K. and London uh, has been and still re remains an extremely important platform for these Swedish companies and these Swedish innovators. You've become partly Swedish, but you also look, you're able to look at Sweden from, from the outside. And I think you see things that we might not see, uh, see ourselves sometimes, but probably you're onto something. I think we are, uh, I think we are generally good at cooperating. Uh, we learned that from childhood. Uh, we are taught it. We are encouraged to, to, to cooperate. Uh, and I think this is something that that helps us, uh, well, helps us innovate, help us develop, help us learn from each other uh, and, and grow stronger together. And I think there is a plus there. We have some challenges as well. If we are going to continue to be uh, up there in the north, if we are going to continue to be this uh, uh, this Silicon Valley of, of, of Scandinavia, uh, we we have to we have to uh, we have to learn as well. 
learning from each other is one of the most important aspects, especially when you can do it um, cross-culturally. And I think that's very much what we're trying to do with this podcast series. We're going to be doing standalone interviews with interesting British and Swedish entrepreneurs, but we're also going to be curating a series of very cool events around specific topics, whether it's digital health or music or fashion tech, and bringing together these two cultures around this and sharing the lessons, the challenges, the weaknesses of founders. But I think importantly, and, and this is something really an em- only an embassy can do and has this special power to, is bring people together from totally different sectors. And that's what we'll be doing. It won't just be founders speaking to founders, tech people speaking to tech people, will be government people speaking to tech people, speaking to designers, speaking to venture capitalists. We want to kind of fill the full circle. And I'm really excited about that. Embassies, as you know, do a lot of things. Uh, I mean, we focus on politics. uh, We do a lot of administrative things. But obviously, we also work with with the business environment, with the innovators uh, and, and with the relationship. And why I want to do this is um, because we have a great relationship. We have a long relationship between Sweden and the UK. It didn't start in the best possible way. I mean, Swedes were partly responsible for some of the Viking raids against Britain um, a thousand years ago. But it has developed since and developed in a, in a very positive way. Uh, we have this broad and deep relationship. You look at the politics. Uh, we look with similar eyes on many things between Sweden and the UK. We vote the same way international fora. We are facing the same sort of challenges in our societies. We also have a very, very close economic relationship. Uh, trade is, is, is considerable. We have a lot of investments in each other's economies. We have people moving in each direction. More and more Swedes have come to the UK for the last 20 years. More and more Brits are discovering Sweden. But I really think that the close... Uh, Interrelationship, they're really the bridge that exists between the tech scene in Stockholm and the tech scene in London, the two tech capitals, startup capitals of, of Europe. That's the latest iteration. That's the latest phenomenon uh, in, in, in this fantastic relationship and strengthen that bridge. Uh, and we want to talk about it and we want to encourage uh, this bridge to also hold in the future. here at the Swedish Ambassador's Residence in London, super excited for a really provocative and cool panel on digital health, which I think is really one of the most relevant topics and least understood topics out there right now. Um, And I have three amazing guests here that will be on the panel today that we get to spend a little bit of time talking to. And so I'd love to hear from each of you, you know, tell me why you started your company and how did you get here? So my name is Will Stoddart. I'm the CEO and co-founder of We Are Labs. And the reason I got into healthcare was actually that, um, so I was in software development originally, and I left that to set up a company with my brother where we were going to take data from Jawbones or Fitbits, and we were going to help you answer kind of natural language questions. You know, if I stop drinking coffee, do I sleep better? And we were going to give you an answer. And part of this was also going to require blood testing. When I came into contact with Ricard, who had just set up a, uh, it was a doctor, 
uh, and co-founder. He, uh, he just set up a web shop offering blood tests. And I realized that your health span is primarily related to the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis. So your health span is your uh, length and quality of life. And if we could help people make better decisions and then see the effects of those decisions, then we could have a profound impact on health. And that's why I got into We Are Labs. I wanted to give users direct access to these tests, to the results, to clinical interpretation, and basically be, help them to change their lives. When was your breakthrough moment with Wear Labs? When did you know, like, hey, this is, this is going to work? You know, people are adapting this. Uh, I think it was just looking at the adoption curve. So in the early days, uh, I think this is the same for most technologies. There's quite a slow adoption curve. And then you hit, you hit a specific user group. And for, in our case, it was uh, particularly women with thyroid issues. Once a critical mass broke through and then they recommended it to friends, we realized quite quickly that we were onto something. So I'm Johannes Schilt and I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Kuri, or KRI. It's a bit hard to pronounce if you're not a Swede. It's the same for being healthy. Uh, and we're a digital healthcare provider. And we started this company because we're all patients ourselves. And we have been there in those situations where you have to go to a care center and sit there and wait in line and being sneezed at. And we thought that it must be some better way of distributing healthcare. So that's, that's why we started. And we realized there is. So now you can meet a doctor directly on your phone instead of calling that landline early in the morning and scheduling an appointment for later. You can just see one of our doctors directly on your phone. That's what we do. You're now providing, I think it's almost 2% of all primary health care. When did you have your breakthrough moment? And like, why do you think it's working so well? When we first started, it was a bit slow in the beginning, but we saw, when just looking into the customer reviews, people loved it. And of course they did, because it's so much better than alternative. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not 20% better, it's 10 times better, because you don't actually have to go there. Um, and when you are sick, you, re- you don't want to go to a care center, you don't want to travel. And Sweden is, you know, it's a big country, and some people have to travel for hours and by car to go to the nearest care center. So we always believed in the in the vision of what we were doing. Um, but the tipping point was maybe one year ago when we were starting to, to uh, have this viral effect where people, you know, a lot of people have started using it and then and they tell their friends and, and people continue to use the service. I mean, I'm smiling to myself as you say this. My daughter's been sick now for two weeks and everyone keeps saying, go to the doctor. And I say, I am not going there. She will get more sick. Someone will sneeze on her. Exactly what you say. So it's common knowledge. But, you know, as Americans, I think it's 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 a kind of like a technical understanding issue and it's also a trust issue I think that personally I think as someone that lived in Sweden for a while there's a little bit more trust in technology and in science and in these types of adoptions am I crazy or do you think that's been part of your success for both of you Johannes please and then also Will I think that you're correct in one way I think we worked a lot with the trust trust thing. Of course, we were a new healthcare provider. No one had heard about Kuru before. Now, sort of everyone knows what Kuru is, but back then uh, we were not a well-known brand. So we worked a lot with that, of course. But I think that Swedes in general are, are open to try new things out and try out new products. And smartphone penetration is great. great. The connectivity is, is super. So I think it's a good starting market in many ways. So yeah, I mean, I agree with, with all of that. I mean, one thing I might add is that Swedes also tend to be very self-reliant. They tend to really trust their own ability to do things. So they would trust 
that they would understand what the blood tests would mean, for example, and what they could do with them. Hi, I'm Michelle Marcus. I'm a worldwide enterprise lead across global health businesses at Omnicom. And my role is really looking at private industry and the wider ecosystem of health and understanding the, the context, the conversation, and how communications can play an intervention role to bring all those groups together to support big health issues. Uh, Michelle, as you're listening to the startup founders that have emanated from Sweden and you've spent some time there. Um, what can the US or the UK learn from the scaling and the modeling coming out of Stockholm? Well, quite frankly, I think everything. So when you look at um, the environment and, 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 and Johannes and Will just articulated it so well that Sweden breeds in terms of supporting and fostering an environment and behaviors that would adopt and look forward to new and disruptive technologies in everyday interactions, including the foundations of health. That's something that in the U.S. and U.K. we haven't necessarily seen as much. I think the U.K. has infrastructure to do it, but you're dealing with systems and you're dealing with processes that cover a lot more people. Uh, in the U.S. right now, health is a highly debated, highly political topic. In the U.K., it's a political topic. And in a sense, we have to take the politics out of it in order for anything to proceed forward. And by having health technology as an equal party in the conversation and is seen not just as a tool in the system, but really a solution to the system, I think we can see some some true momentum in the U.S. and U.K. But again, the the behaviors and the tenets of thinking about health in a political sense have to change first. Michelle, talk a little bit about big companies and big business. Right now, we're in a time in the U.S. actually where there is positive momentum that you know businesses can do a lot of social change and they're providing a lot of health care themselves. And you work and represent some of the biggest corporates in health. How can they disrupt themselves? How can they partner with people like Will and Johannes in a better way? We work with some of the largest public health as well as private companies. And really what you're seeing is that the private companies and the public institutions want to transform themselves because the notion of health to this point has really been founded on treatment. And really, we're moving much more towards realizing that we have to create an ecosystem that is much more around a preventive or a curative economy. And so with that, companies recognize they need to be part of that economy. And where they're looking to transform themselves, they're looking for outside influences, smart people who are able to, either because they have the principles of it or because they have the knowledge of it or the comfort of disruption to help come in, examine their businesses and make recommendations. So it's not using the the startups or health technology as just a channel or just a portal or just a tool. It's really around using it as consultative information to help really transform their business into what would be impactful in the future. I want to ask each of you this. Are you optimistic that five years from now, we will each in our respective cultures and countries, we will all have better healthcare, or not? Uh, for me, I'm very, very positive about it. Yeah, I think in five years, it's even hard for us to imagine five years into the future now. So I'm very positive. I agree. I'm very positive, at least within the, in Europe and America, not so much. I think you're dealing with an eternal optimistic panel, which is good. And even I'm, I'm optimistic even coming in the U.S. and seeing um, also outside, whether it be Europe or Asia or Africa and the Middle East. And you're recognizing that 
people want to have changes in health. People are seeing well-being as foundational to happiness, yeah. uh, whether it be mental health or oncology. There are big issues in the United States. We have opioid crisis. We have big issues that are founded in public health and health issues. And so everyone wants to disrupt, and that means it will happen. It's just finding the right framework for it to occur. I want to ask uh, both Will and Johannes, uh, you're both doing so well right now, but what what re- went wrong before it all went right? What was your biggest setback? It's hard to know. The biggest setback is always at a point in time. But the I think the hard thing for us was in the early days, there was a lot of criticism. I think, Johannes, you guys suffered the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's been so interesting to see it. So in the early days, the medical community, which are our supply side, we have to keep them happy. Um, and within their own press... Uh, there was a lot of negativity around what we were doing. You know, di- direct-to-consumer testing, it's, it's a controversial, it's a hot potato. Um, but I think that attitudes have changed so much in the last three years. It's just, it's fascinating. Even the critics, I've, I've seen a tweet from one of our major critics saying, oh, actually, I don't see a problem with blood testing. It's just some of the marketing around it. You know, that's a massive change. Well, I think it's, 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 it's a bit of the same. Um, since we're, we're changing the whole primary healthcare infrastructure now, we're putting it directly in the hands of the consumer. Uh, and some of the, of the doctors in the very early was quite, quite, quite skeptical towards it. But then they tried it out. Then they, they used the service themselves, and then they realized this is a great way of helping a lot more patients. Um, and that's super. I, we, we, had this, we had this one doctor very early on, was a rather old doctor, and he was hard to convince to try it out, and he was very, very skeptical. But then he tried it, and he, he, had, he did a lot of meetings through CRU, meeting his patients. And then he came back to us, and I was like, this is exactly the same thing as running my own practice, but I don't have to you know, shake hands. So, just to comment on that, I think where private companies can continue to learn from startups is. Startups are born from the market. They're born from the problems that need that are created in the market and need to be solved. And so you're close to the constituents, you're close, close to consumers, you're close to physicians. You're seeing um, how to galvanize these groups in order to make change. And I think that's, you know, when you look at private industry, sometimes it's so cumbersome and big that they are unable to connect to that. And so the solutions that you have come up with are born from need and born from real problems. And that's where true um, true momentum happens. And just by having a little bit of a call to action or, you know, what can we do to further support this kind of innovation? What can we, and as I say, we what, what do you guys need more from government or private sector to continue to boost you? And Michelle, like, what do you want more from entrepreneurs to continue to boost your work helping big companies become innovative. So how can we help you more? I think it's from a policy perspective, I think it's important to make sure the environment, when you set up an environment where startups like us can thrive and continue to develop and run fast. I think because this is this is you now these big problems and it can be solved by fast growing companies or fast running companies and it will in many cases not be solved from within the system. So you have to let new players in there uh, and act and run fast? Uh, So I think it depends upon the country. And I think that the, so for example, in the UK, uh, the major concern is very different from Sweden. The major concern is around security and just having very clear guidelines on what would be required to be someone that could work within the NHS would be great because you have to basically go to five different organizations to get an answer and ultimately ends up, I don't really know, let's see what happens. So um, so I think just clarity around the major problems for each country would be good. In terms of um, how startups can better connect with big 
industry and private industry. I think it's understanding the context by which private industry exists and being disruptive, but balancing that with being re- being not respectful per se, but um, understanding the way in which things have to work. So there's there's profit centers and technology exists seeing the long-term solutions that could occur. Uh, we do have private industry where some, you know, big money is being placed around some really great investments and solutions and technology. But startups have to understand the context of that conversation, how to have it, how to come with a value proposition that's really going to make sense for private industry so that we can come to the table with a common lexicon and goals and language to move things forward. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to jump on that because I think it's a really, really, really interesting point that, you know, we, so for example, for us, we didn't have the skill set to approach some of these larger private companies. And, you know, that's a big learning experience and that's, and it's a long cycle to actually get a yes or a no when you're trying to do something. So if there was guidance around that, I think that would be invaluable. And that's where we're happy to help, which is why Natalia brings us all together. (laughs) We just ended a super cool, I mean, I, I do a lot of these things and a lot of the ones that I expect, they may be kind of on sexy topics like music or fashion This was on a difficult and important topic, health, digital health. It was one of the most riveting, fun, like everybody in the audience, eyes wide open. Like one guy told me that he was crying because his mom is a nurse and he loves the NHS so much. So, I mean, I myself was surprised. I knew we would would have a great discussion because I had met all of the panelists before and they are all very confident in their vision, but and all come from very different sectors. But to see kind of the back and forth between Ali of Babylon and Tony from the NHS in one way kind of criticizing, griping at each other, but then the other saying embracing each other and the collaboration and bringing in the Swedish founders. It was exactly what we wanted, which was debate, but also quite constructive. We can speak a little bit more to that to our Bjorn, but what did you think? I think it was an exciting discussion, wasn't it? Um, With different perspectives uh, and some feelings around it as well. And... It was a discussion we all can, I feel I can relate to it. And, and it's an area where one realizes that this is an area where technology will bring, is bringing change and will bring change in our lifetime. Our experience of going to doctor today is going to be quite different in 10 or 20 years. There were two things that I'm still thinking about. One of them was the evolution of the doctor-patient, kind of the personal human relationship. I actually really, really want to have a doctor that touches my shoulder and I want to look someone in the eye. Health is very emotional, especially mental health issues and depression. I mean, we started talking about that a little bit and areas of prevention. And I think where a lot of us and I think a lot of professionals, and it's such a difficult topic to talk about because it's shameful in some cultures, but no one is going to speak to an AI bot or a telephone about feeling depressed or about having postpartum depression after they have a baby. They want to see and touch and feel someone. And I think these are areas that, that will be difficult, but those are the things that I'm, I'm still thinking about after that. And we could have had a whole panel on that. And so, I mean, I'm just completely, I'm quite excited and inspired. I think one of the questions we had was, you know, will we be having better health care in five years from now? I do think we will. But I think these will be issues that people have to realize that it can't be all tech and it can't be all traditional. There will have to be a mix. But I think we, we kind of accomplished that today. We had such a hybrid mix of people on the stage and they may not have agreed on everything, but I think we all agreed upon making health better for everyone. 
I think there were two things actually that really stood out for me because I tend to sort of agree with both sides of the debate today. On the one hand, all these founders and the tech guys are saying, we really need to change healthcare and, you know, my mobile phone can be part of that. And I said, yeah, I understand that. I also want to access my doctor through my mobile. I'm prepared to download their various apps and to make sure that I, I'm doing the right thing for my body and my health. And I think this is coming and I, I should be part of that uh, and my family should. Uh, but I tended to sort of agree with the NHS uh, representative as well, uh, saying that we're going to have hospitals in the future as well. I want to see the doctor sometimes. I tend not to trust machines. When he says we need the human interaction in the future, I think that was true too. Uh, so these are the two things for me. We're going to have hospitals, we're going to have doctors also in the future. But I think these tech guys are onto something. This is a change that's happening now and it will change the way that we, 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 we live our lives. That's a great point, Torbjorn. So let's hear from Tony Young from the NHS on humanity and health. There's lots of promise out there, but there is also lots of hype. So I'm afraid I don't agree that we are the last generation that will recognise the healthcare we've been delivering. If you look at history, that's not the case. There are some things that will never change. And one of those things, so it was John Matheson, who's a friend of mine, he's also the Chief Informatics Officer and Deputy Medical Director at Kaiser, who came out with this expression. He said, Tony, we need to use modern technology to deliver ancient wisdom. There are some things as a species of human beings we always want, and something that telehealth or robotics will never be able to do is to turn to you to say, I'm so sorry, I know this must have come as a real shock to you. What I think it will do is free clinicians up from those tasks that they didn't need to do, whether it's pathology reporting um, of all the x-rays, whether it's histopathology reporting, whether it's taking out some of the cases that would be easy that don't need that face-to-face -face interaction. Who wants to sit there with someone, particularly if you're elderly, particularly if your social networks aren't what they were, that one-to-one -one interaction. Why are you all here? Why didn't you watch it on a video screen? Sometimes the tech world and the commercial world are a bit enthusiastic at saying everything is going to change and it's going to be a golden future with those things. But actually, we're still organic human beings. I think one of the things I'm really happy about and what we hoped for is we had a very cross-cultural Americans, Brits, Swedes on the panel from different sectors. And there was a real kind of discussion and comparison of the different systems. And it was quite cool when uh, Dr. Ali Parsa from Babylon stood up and he was challenging Tony from the NHS a bit. And he said, look, you know, this company, Cree, with their young founder, Johannes, they were able to scale so quickly because Sweden is very open to innovation. The Swedish government believes in innovation and helped them. And he had said he wished that the British system did that as well. Of course, a great debate ensued. So let's hear that comment from Dr. Parsa. The challenges in, in healthcare is usually somebody else that I have to persuade to pay for the consumer to use. The genius of the government of Sweden two years ago was it said anybody who wants to use telemedicine, we will allow it. And these guys managed to build a big business out of Sweden in a way that was denied to the rest of us in the rest of the world. Our British government just allowed us to do the same thing. I'm a private company, I won't tell you the numbers we are taking 
in the, since Monday when we saw this, it broke every projections we ever had. It just couldn't. And even though the British medical establishment, as you said, came against it very hard, the more they came against it, the more numbers we got from people. Almost like, I just want to pay the PR company to do more for us because we're doing phenomenally well. The so more that's, them. that's why, I don't, that's why like, Ali, we need to work in partnership. Correct. But my point the public is, my sector point, can't do the enterprise, but no. you can do that. But, but the moment, all, almost you have to do, the partnership we need from you is permission. The moment you give us permission, because in healthcare we need your permission. I tell you something else. You know the moment we announced that we were going to do this thing, uh, this, do you know what was the first letter we received within an hour of the announcement from CQC, our Care Quality Commission, saying that we are going to come and inspect you and you better be ready. <laughs> right? you, how did that happen? Right? Within a thing. So my point to you is that government has a role to play and its role can be positive, negative, or neutral. There is no excuse for being neutral. There is no excuse to be negative, because as Bjorn was saying, this is a global competition. Let's not forget, we don't do it. Sweden does it. This company gets created, becomes fast, comes here. Right? Sweden doesn't do it. United States doesn't come here. Eventually, we will buy Google. We will buy all these other companies' products, and we'll become a net <coughs> seller. In Britain, we can be a net buyer or a net seller. And at the moment, my fear is that we've just done the right thing. We need to be doing more. Sweden needs to do more. We in Europe, if we want to thrive, we need to understand. We're on the verge of something fundamentally different. Let's hear some more from tonight's amazing guests at our first TechBridge Sweden UK Symposium. Up next, Michelle Marcus enterprise lead for Omnicom on all pharmaceuticals, gives us a really cool, unique perspective from the corporate side. When you look at even the journey of pharma and big private organizations, right now they know they need to transform. So fundamentally we're moving from a treatment economy to a prevention or a curative economy, and they want a place in that. So it's the notion of working with disruptive technologies and new players across the ecosystem to really harness how they change their business model, right? It's not just looking at technology as platforms or tools. It's, it's looking at them as equal players. And so they're inviting them into the conversation. We have a lot of pharma companies have big funds. They have uh, different innovation hubs where they're looking for health startups to come and, and, and break what they further break what they know is broken and really think about the new solutions. Health startups are, are born out of a market need. They're born out of a patient need and a physician need. They see things more acutely that way. And so when you work in a corporation, you're not always as close to the end user. And, and truly, that's where corporations can, can almost immediately benefit, is informed by the startups who are really at the heart and nexus of the end user. Up next is Johannes Schilt, the founder of Cree. What's been your greatest challenge scaling in Sweden and now kind of planning to scale in other countries in the EU? I think it's a healthcare sector as a whole, it's a rather conservative business. And in some ways, it should be conservative. Uh, that's always a challenge. Um, and for us, it depends. You have to really go market by market. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between markets, but there's a lot of differences also. And it's a lot of cultural differences on how you consume healthcare and so on. So that's, that's of course, you can't, never, you can't really create a cookie-cutting machine just doing exactly the same thing in all markets. And uh, that is the challenge. 
up next, Tony Young from London's NHS has some really insightful moments. We, we face a number of problems now globally. It's not just uh, healthcare isn't unique. There are human beings across the planet broadly facing the same diseases, mm-hmm. uh, broadly living longer, although it's different in different areas. And um, the same, I think it was Einstein who said, we can't use the same thinking that we use when we created the problems to solve the problems we now face. And we can't, so we need new thinking, we need new action. And I think um, the NHS has demonstrated through a number of things that it's not easy and it's never going to be easy, but we have a willing to test and trial new things. <laughs> if you look at the history of medicine, where when um, Semmelweis said you should wash your hands. It was a big controversy and he went mad actually and was consigned to an asylum as they were called then and died um, because the medical profession wouldn't support him. Lister, when he came out with antisepsis, was, um, uh, uh, I think he was referred to the General Medical Council actually for heresy. How could you say these things called bacteria were going to cause infections? Transplantation. You're going to put someone else's organ in your body. You're kidding me. Vaccination. You're going to give someone a disease to try and kill them. In vitro fertilization. You're going to do the act of creation outside of someone's body. You're kidding me. Telehealth delivered to the whole world. Are you kidding? Of course we have to test and trial these things and be open. But they have to be, it has to be done in a safe way um, uh, because these are real people and real patients. But we shouldn't close our minds to the opportunities that are out there. So we're willing, I think, in the NHS to support and embrace innovation, but to test it and trial it rigorously so it's done in a safe manner. Next up is Ali Parsa, the founder of Babylon, with some really insightful points. We've set up Babylon saying, hey, can you do with healthcare what Google did with information? Can you make it accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of every human being on Earth? And if you think how you do that, accessible is almost easy. As, you can put, as long as you can put most of the healthcare most people need on the mobile devices they already have, that's highly accessible. The question becomes, how do you make it affordable? A doctor behind the mobile phone costs exactly the same as a doctor inside the surgery. The costs in healthcare sit in two areas. One is people, two-thirds of all the money Tony spends on healthcare in Britain goes into salaries. Doctors, nurses, everywhere in the world are expensive. Secondly is timing. Most diseases by the time they manifest their symptoms, a $10 problem has become a $1,000 solution. How do you build machines, artificial intelligence, that can do much of what a doctor does and relieve them to be able to do what they do? One of my favorite things to see right after the panel ended, people kind of streamed up to talk to everybody on the panel. And I think they're still talking. <laughs> no one wanted to leave. And those are the connections we were hoping to make, to bring investors, government and policymakers and founders together to, quote, speak the same language. I think that's a bit of the goal of this whole series. So we did something good today. I think we made some great connections that will help innovation and will help these young founders. And I can't wait for the next one in the series. Well, thank you very much, Natalia. And you masterfully managed to to get the best out of these panelists and all to make sure they remain civil with each other uh, when 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 the feelings were were a bit heated for a while. So I too very much look forward to continue these events and these discussions, and uh, we'll be back with more. Thank you so much to our Bjorn. This is a super innovative thing to do. This podcast is the first for a Swedish embassy. And so please follow us, listen to us, send us comments, send us ideas. It's the Tech Bridge Sweden UK podcast and see you next time.